From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour. As we uh, head, head on deeply into our 23rd year on the air. And thanks to all you, our listeners and our wonderful underwriters and our our great guests. And thanks to Bishop Wiegand for starting this program and for Bishop Soto for his great support of both this program and of our Spanish-language sister station, uh, Radio Santissimo Sacramento, which has just all kinds of listeners and is doing such wonderful work here in the Diocese of Sacramento. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And uh, we're rejoicing and glad to be welcoming in Deacon Jim McFadden, uh, who has authored a book. Uh, Deacon, uh, good to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello, Bob, and uh, thank you very much for the invite. Very much appreciated. And um, blessings on your ministry. Uh, I, didn't, I wasn't aware that Bishop Wiegand started the, the Bishop's um, um, Hour program, um, but uh, Bishop Wiegand was, had ordained my class in 2004, mm-hmm. and he's been you know, familiar with my, uh, my writings with homilies and writing for um, uh, Shalom Tidings, and when I wrote the book, I, I asked him if he would uh, uh, enter, uh, be kind enough to... Uh, uh, read the book, and if he felt so uh, um, uh, compelled or uh, willing to to give a, a testimonial to it, which he did, which was in the opening pages. Yeah, I, I, I read it. It's beautiful. Yeah. So it's funny how, you know, kind of small world and <laughs> how things sort of, you know, work together, you know. They do. They do indeed. Uh, Jim, tell us a little bit about your uh, about yourself first. Uh, well, I'm um, I, I've been teaching at St. Francis High School for uh, my 34th year, um, and I'm a retired deacon. I was ordained in 2004, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm pretty. I'm still active. Uh, at 75, canonically, we're required to submit our retirement right. uh, to, the, to the bishop. And I, I wrote him a letter, and uh, I said, "Well, Bishop, I, I come from the school where you continue to do, to do ministry till you drop." And, and he basically said, I agree, so you can continue to exercise your ministry at St. John the Baptist in Folsom uh, uh, for as long as you're, you're, you're able. Oh, wonderful. And so uh, I'm, st- I'm still active. Uh, I do adult faith formation, spiritual direction. Is that and your parish anyway? Yeah, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And prior to that, I, I had been doing, I had done about 16 years of prison ministry over at Folsom. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I uh, I came over from uh, I, I started my teaching career in my early 40s, and before that I was working for the United States Olympic Committee and, and their public relations. Oh, really? Uh, uh, for what they um, their NGB National Governing Body in cycling, and I did their advance work and public relations, and did their monthly uh, news magazine. Were you located in Sacramento though? Uh, I was, I was still, yeah. We were uh, at that time. We were living in Nevada City, uh-huh. and um, but uh, there were some sort of you know stresses to move to Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. and uh, I, uh, you know, my wife and I and family, we've been pretty much, you know, born and raised in California. So, you know, we we decided to uh, stay in California. But then it's like, okay, now what do I do now? <laughs> and uh, I, I went back to school and, and uh, got a teaching got a teaching credential, and um, and I had applied originally at Jesuit, and uh, at that time I didn't uh, I didn't know St. Francis existed. It was right next to you know S- uh, Sac State. Sac State, yeah. And they and uh, they phoned Jesuit and said, you know, do you have any? Uh, Applicants on, on file. I said, "Yeah, this this just came through." So, so they sent me um, my file and did an interview, and uh, uh, and I've been teaching ever since. Uh, when I was working for the uh, for the Olympic Olympic House um, for the for that time, you know, for, you know, uh, late seventies, early eighties, was making pretty good money, and. And then when when I started teaching at St. Francis, I, I was making, you know, like fifteen, seventeen thousand. And I go, wow, this is <laughs> this is pretty uh, 
a pretty hefty pay cut. And uh, and so I said, Lord, I'll continue to do this as long as you you know this can be sustained. And so I I, I taught the first year, and I was like, okay, I'll get to this year at that pay, and then I'll look at the public schools. But once I was there for the, that year, it was like you know, like Jeremiah said right. to the Lord, you know, you you seduce me. <laughs> And it's like, okay, this is this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, kind of a, a kind of reminds me of the song of uh, you know Bob Dylan is middle period, uh, uh, slow train coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I think uh, I think the song is Frankie and Johnny. He says something to the effect that the moral of this story, the moral of the song, is one should not be where one does not belong. And I had that sense that this is where I belong, which is really kind of, the, in retrospect, looking back, it's like the movement of the spirit. And, uh, and so it's, uh, if the Lord wants me here, then he'll find a way for us to be able to do it economically. And then, you know, um, about 10 years later, we uh, went through some major uh financial reforms with, with the salaries, and so they're pretty competitive with public schools, and from that point on, it was, you know, not looking back, and, uh, but, you know, here I am in my late 70s, and oftentimes people say, well, why are you still teaching, you know, like, you're, you're, you're in your late 70s, I mean, do you need the money? And I go, no, I don't, and I says, well, why do you still teach? And I said, well, here's what happens to me on a regular basis. Um, here's a seven, you know, 78-year-old man relating to a 14, 15-year-old. There's a connection there. And a week doesn't go by that they don't surprise me. You know, I've been, you know, I've been uh, I don't know how many classroom sessions have I had, but things will happen in the classroom that you've never seen before. And you go, whoa, that's really neat. And so they surprise you, and and when when they allow you into their uh, domain, when they allow you to accompany them, then it's, that's when the teaching happens, and and they touch you. Uh, how they um, we do a lot of journaling in my class, and they're, they're so very um, once the trust has been established, you know they're so very trusting, and they share what's going on in their lives. And then finally, they, they inspire me you know, that um, that they're just not good at one area, but they just excel in academics and sports and fine arts. And and when they uh, uh, approach something, they just—it's like the hokey pokey. They just throw their whole bodies in, and it's and it's just awesome to see that. So I I'll say um, when I get this question, I said, if you're at your work, if you could be surprised and touched and inspired wouldn't you want to be there and that's why you know i'm you know it, it reminds me of a story i was telling one of my uh one of my kids uh this morning that who was debating uh you know a part-time job and should i try this other part-time job but i really like this job that kind of thing mm-hmm. and uh, she's in school mm-hmm. and I, I related a story i'd read about a, a college football assistant coach who wasn't making the same amount of money as a head coach, mm-hmm. but still making decent uh, at a major yeah. college, Clemson. And and he'd get offers from, as Clemson did well, he would get offers to be a head coach someplace, someplace else. And he kept turning it down. And they asked him why. And he said, you know, it was a, a long time ago, mentor had said to him, don't screw up happy. <laughs> <laughs> And that's, he says, I'm happy, yeah. you know, and it's like, I mean, it, it doesn't mean you don't take risks. And, and sometimes yeah. very early in a job, things are things are real difficult. And you, you think, well, yeah, but I think there's some greater good here. I'm going to try to fight through it, you know. Yeah. But but yeah, there, there's a there's a lot to that. Um, I'm a journalist by trade and have been at the same newspaper for a very long time. And uh, people have asked me that same kind of question. Uh, why did you stay there so long? Mm-hmm. And I say, well, uh, they, they're honorable people. They've always treated me well. Mm-hmm. I'm not starving to death. I'm not a rich man, but I'm not starving to death. Yeah. My kids have shoes for the winter. 
don't screw up happy. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's you know, it's, it's like this notion like Occam's razor, and you get to down to what is really essential and important, mm-hmm. and you know, it really comes down to our Father. You know, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And when we strive to do that, uh, in and through Christ, through the power of the Spirit and grace, then everything just kind of gets really rightly ordered. You know, it's it's, it's uh, uh, we we, we kind of bring everything that's going on in our lives into our center. And if we strive to do the Father's will in our work, our families, parishes our political, economic, social domains, life just gets simple. Yep. Uh, now, the, the, um, and the fruits of that, you know, we, we hear you know, in Galatians 5, 21, 22, is that, uh, you, know, the, you know, in terms of a sense of peace and happiness and joy and gentleness and patience and, and so forth. And that's a, probably a good indicator of that's where we should be. Well, you know, the one that always gets me, Jim, is, is uh, give us this day our daily bread. Mm-hmm. Then say, give, me, give us this day a fat 401k. <laughs> <laughs> it just says our daily bread. Yeah. And I can't think of it. Yeah, there have been some times that were my own fault, you know, like maybe I'm stranded somewhere and you're on the desert and you forgot to pack enough food or something. But mm-hmm. I, I can't. Imagine uh, I, I can't remember a daily bread that I didn't get. Yeah, yeah. No matter at what stage of my life I was, I was. It was, it wasn't prime rib, but it was mm-hmm. daily bread. Yeah, and, yeah. That well, and I think the, um, the the uh, the background to that is all the Father wants for you. For I, for us, all he wants is our good, and he will provide for that every day. Yeah, absolutely. But, but we're radically dependent upon him for that. We have to, you know, to ask that. And you know, the, uh, it's interesting that we that, that prayer, we say that that prayer daily. We don't say, well, you know, give us our weekly bread or right. our monthly bread right. or a yearly bread because we are radically dependent upon his grace in order to do anything well. And as, and as St. Augustine said uh, somewhere uh, uh, in response to the Pelagian heresy, he said something of fact that without grace we cannot do one thing mm-hmm. well. And uh, and so that's why we ask every day for his grace. Yeah, don't pat yourself on the back when you do something good because it's grace. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it, exactly. Because I mean, I look at I look at the it's not a debate, but I look at the the Eucharistic revival, mm-hmm. and and the 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 polling uh, the cited in the Catholic Herald and a number of places that uh, I forget the percentage in the '60s that don't believe in the real presence, and you. You go, well, I believe in the real presence. I guess I must be special. No, <laughs> that's grace. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, you cannot, uh, you know, when, when Peter professes faith in Jesus and the Lord says, you know, it's not you who said that. I was, I was a spirit within you. And, we, and you're right. We, we cannot acknowledge, appreciate the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist without grace. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's, it's incomprehensible, really, without grace. Yes, yeah, and it seems that you know, given this, this, uh, the statistics that you mentioned, where over, I, I don't know how the questions were framed. But, no, I, I don't either, actually. But yeah. but it seems like uh, I've I read stats of fifty percent of Catholics don't believe it's, it's symbolic, mm-hmm. and uh, and if that's the case. You know, our, our church is really in need of a, a renewal mm-hmm. to come to the, uh, you know, the appreciation. And, and these aren't people that are rebelling against church teaching or, well, I don't, I don't believe that and I believe this. It's not. They're, they're, they're presumably, by and large, good, faithful Catholics. But ask the question. You can't lie to yourself. You can't, yeah. you can't say, I believe something. I mean, you can say it to a pollster, but you can't lie to yourself. You know if you believe it or you don't. Yeah, 
you know, it, it's he either is really present or he's not, and, and whether you believe that or not. There, there was a, uh, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese did a film on the on the silence uh, about uh, Jesuit missionaries in Japan and mm-hmm. when they were expelled and so forth. And it was interesting uh, scenes there where uh, to try to drive out Catholicism from Japan, they went after the the priest. And if they would uh, become apostates, then that would set an example for mm-hmm. others. And the test was to step on a consecrated host. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the ordinary folk, the villagers, they wouldn't do it. And they, and they, and they, would, die, they would die for that because, because they believed that, that Jesus was really present and mm-hmm. they couldn't desecrate it. And then the, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the priest... Um, he did. I don't. Not. I don't know. It's not so much out of bad faith, but he did it to preserve the lives of his people. Mm-hmm. And so I had, you know, major reservations, you know, about Scorsese's film in terms of uh, what, you know, his treatment of faith. But I thought that was really a very uh, interesting point. That uh, if if you believe that the Lord is really present. The consecrated bread and wine, you would sacrifice your, your life for mm-hmm. that belief. Absolutely, but I, I, w- I wouldn't do it for symbol. No, no, and you see, that's exactly right. No, that, that's exactly right. You know, and, and you would hope that you would have the courage to do it, to do exactly what you what you described, Jim. When you when you first started at St. Francis, what were you teaching? Uh, I I was uh, uh, teaching upper division. Um, World religions mm-hmm. and um, uh, church history, and then later I, I taught uh, introduction of scripture and uh, uh, New Testament and sacraments. So right now I, I, I'm, I'm teaching part time. Um, uh, I teach three. I teach three blocks, three sections, and it's uh, um, intro to scriptures. And and then uh, you know Jesus through the ages. And that's really how the how the book evolved. Uh, um, when I first started to teach, you know, the the, the Bible has seventy three books and forty six in the old and twenty seven in the new, and and it's really kind of sprawling. And it's, it, it, the Bible literally means a library, so a library of seventy three books and. And so over over the years, you had this sense. Okay, the Old Testament contains the promise, and the New Testament is the fulfillment. And it's like, well, how does that promise unfold? And then, um, you know, how the the Bible is the Old Testament is divided in those four categories of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books, in which establishes identity, who who God is, and who we are, and the covenant relationship. And then the historical books describe how that relationship was unfolding, and then the prophetic books are the um, is the critique of that history, and the wisdom is taking taking a step back and evaluating and judging where the people are going. So I had a you know kind of a handle of that, and and then I, I noticed that the the, the 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 gospels parallel the structure of the Old Testament that. Uh, Matthew's gospel, although it wasn't written first, uh, it's, it's about identity. Jesus is the new Moses, and it, in establishing who, you know, who Jesus is in relationship with the Father and who we are. And then Mark's gospel is kind of a history. Well, if Jesus is Lord, you know, it, you know, Mark's gospel is written for the beleaguered community in Rome. If he's worth, if he's worth uh, living for, he's worth dying for. And then. Uh, Luke's gospel would be sort of the the application uh, uh, of given who uh, who Jesus is and and dis- a sense of discipleship. Then this is what it looks like to be a disciple. And then John's gospel is is the kind of the wisdom, the, the mystical tradition myst- uh, um, approach. And so I, you know, seeing these parallels. And uh, but I, I still wasn't kind of getting a handle on it. You know, like with 73 books, what, what books do you choose, and what what you what do you focus on, what you don't? What's essential here? 
and um, and what evolved was this notion of salvation history. And uh, I had I remember when I was uh, looking at a PowerPoint with St. Mary's Press, and they they had they popped up four or five pictures of Adam and Eve, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus. And they, and I looked at that and I go, okay, that's the template for the Bible. And uh, I started to my teaching started to uh, be grounded in, in that overarching narrative. And uh, and then at that same time, I, this is about 10 years ago, uh, when Shalom World was just getting started, they had some people who were part of the uh, board directors or whatever at St. John the Baptist, and they heard me preach, and so they asked me to do some work for them in the beginning. And so I was, I, I was, I was doing some shows for them. And I said, uh, would you be interested in a series on salvation history? I think there's a, there's a narrative here that basically can contain the Bible, um, that there's a trajectory here that you know, starts with uh, the Garden of Eden, the fall, and then and the terminus is Jesus. And I said, well, that sounds interesting. Why don't you send, a, send us a proposal? So I, I got home, I got in front of the computer, and, and four hours later I hammered out this proposal of, of salvation history, and they said, okay, that, that looks good. Let's do it. And this is about, in, I think, April or May, and I go, oh, oh. And I go, okay, now I've now I got to write the scripts for it. So at that summer, I sat down and wrote 10 scripts for the segments, and then we did, we did the, uh, the, the series. And then, I, and then when I went to resume the next school year, I said, well, I, th I think this is accessible to high school kids. So I taught the material, but I taught it in such a way that I gave them the content and I guided them through it with study guide questions and they taught the class under my guidance. And, they, and no matter where they were in scripture, they could kind of put it in this overall story. And then the challenge was to have them integrate their personal story with the story with salvation history, and it worked. And and I said, okay, this. I I felt at that point, oh, kind of compelled or nudged to to try to reach a larger audience. And so then we, you know, published the book, and uh, found a publisher. And then now we're in the marketing stage of salvation history, God's rescue operation. But it's funny how things, you know, you know kind of unfold, that as you're teaching, uh, you're coming to some insight as to how, what is the best way to teach the scripture to young people. And you're not talking about just religious information. You want to create an opportunity through scripture, which is the, you know, the living word, that they may have an encounter with Jesus. Because what I've come to appreciate the whole Bible is about Jesus. Um, you know, there's this notion of the unicity of Scripture. Uh, you know, what does that mean? It means, you know, as John says in his prologue, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later, the Word became flesh. So the Bible is the Word of God, and Jesus is the Word of God. That means... The Old and New Testament is about Him. Mm -hmm. And so to present the Old Testament, which will lean into the New Testament, is to create opportunities where they can encounter Jesus at a deeper level and begin to engage Him at a deeper level. And that's when people, young people start to fall in love with Him. And, yeah, and it's it's amazing to me. Uh, even young people that aren't believers, uh, there's something about Jesus that's very attractive to them. Well, you, yeah. Why do you think that is? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it. Well, you know, when when, uh, when he was talking to uh, Thomas, and and he he expresses he gives t uh, testimony to his faith because he saw Jesus's wounds. And he says, well, you know, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who right. have seen, who believe 
conditions. And he said, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's why Jesus is so attractive. And, and you know, for some of my like, contemporary saints of uh, uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta, um, you know, St. John Paul you know, II, um, um, or, uh, was it, was it, you know, the, the Italian youth. Mark, oh, yes. Oh, his name Marcos. escapes me right now, but boy, is he, is he, uh, yeah, 15 year old. Right. People, people are, you know, people are attracted to, to him or to Pope Francis, even though he's not a saint yet, but, you know, Carlo, um, Carlo Acutis. Yeah. Carlo Acutis. Yeah. They're attracted to them. Because they are close to Jesus, mm-hmm. that's who they're really attracted to. Right. And and there's this there's this presence the presence of Christ is within them and animates them, and that's why they're attracted to people like Carlo and Francis and you know Saint Teresa of Calcutta and so forth. Is is the presence of Christ within them? You know, I, I I love the subtitle Salvation History. The title and the subtitle God's Rescue Operation. That's a it's it's very compelling put that way. He's trying yeah, to save it, us. He's or he is saving us. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, you know, we we come from a, a, a culture that uh, kind of a postmodern secular culture where it's all about us, very self-referential, and there's no problem that we we can't solve, and you know. You know, there was a book written during the 60s that said something in effect of, I'm okay, and you're okay, and that's okay. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and, it, and it's like, no. that you know, as, you know, we are broken, flawed human beings who can't save ourselves. And we acknowledge that when Holy Mass starts. You know, when, when Mass, after, the, you know, the, after we, the procession and the introductory prayers, we say the confidior. Mm-hmm. We acknowledge that not just some of us, all of us are sinners, and we're publicly we're asking for God's mercy and forgiveness, and we can't save ourselves. And that's the that's one of the premises of, of the book is that we are in radical need of salvation, that we can't do it ourselves. All we can do is respond to our Savior. All we, all we do is we bring our yes or no. We can say yes to Jesus, and, 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 and the gift of the Holy Spirit within us, we can say yes and cooperate with it, or we can say no. It's, it's a very you know, either-or choice, and there's consequences of the choice we make. You know, one is, a, and you look at, I mentioned Galatians 5, the fruits of making the right choice are right there in terms of happiness and joy and peace and gentleness and patience and self-control. And the, the consequences of, of, of saying no to the Lord, to grace, is the prodigal son. When, and I think we all have to kind of maybe we go through this. We have to kind of go outside the relationship to, to see whether... We really want to commit ourselves to the relationship. Um, I, I think when the prodigal son left his father, um, and the father didn't try to stop him, is that he wanted what God has. He want he wanted God's life, the father's life, but he wanted it without God. Yep. He was going outside the garden, and I think it seems like that's part of the journey. But when he went away from his father. He went into the far country, and Bishop Barron, in his great Catholicism series, notes that in in Greek, the, the far country is is the big emptiness, kora mm-hmm. makra, and when we are disengaged from God, we are going into non-being. That's what that's what mortal sin is, and it just feels awful, and it's just a basic choice, and and we are. We are made to be loved, and we're made to love others. You know, it's the great commandment. And it's the, the choice is right there. 
God invites us into that relationship, but because he, uh, he is so patient that he doesn't force himself on us. He awaits our assent. And if we say yes, then all the graces, the, the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints, all that's there to help us in our journey. But it takes humility to recognize that I am radically dependent upon God in order to be fully human. And when we, when we do, uh, one of the early church fathers, St. Irenaeus, said something to the fact that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And uh, when we are fully human in Christ, that gives glory to God. And it's beautiful because it just, it, it, God's goodness and spirit radiates through us. It's not us per se, but it's his, his life that is animating us, and that's what's visible. We're talking with Deacon Jim McFadden, author of the book Salvation History, God's Rescue Operation. I'll share with you what uh, uh, Bishop Emeritus William Wiegand said about it. He said, uh, capturing the overarching message of the sprawling and diverse 73 books of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is no small achievement. Deacon Jim McFadden does precisely this in Salvation History, God's Rescue Operation. And he does so very successfully in a concise, uncluttered, and clear text that can make the sacred scriptures come alive for readers. I highly recommend it. McFadden's un unifying window into the scriptures is salvation history, something he has taught quite successfully to young people and others for more than 30 years. The fruits of McFadden's work can bring insight to individual readers while also being helpful to anyone tasked with teaching the message of the Bible. Most anyone, including those familiar with McFadden's timely and engaging reflections in Shalom Tidings, We'll find an insightful read in, in, in Salvation History, God's Rescue Operation. Those are the words of Bishop uh, Emeritus William Wiegand. Yeah, uh, pretty good, pretty, pretty ringing endorsement. Yes, and it's, it's very humbling. Uh, and, um, you know, when I, right, right now we're, we're uh, teaching the kids about uh, the Bible being the inspired word. And God is the ultimate author of the Bible. He's, he's the doer, but he uses human authors as his instruments to bring about his purposes, to faithfully write what he intends. And I, I, I feel this, this, this book is, uh, I, I'm part of the process. Uh, that, you know, and it gives some talents I have. They all come from God. And I think this is the movement of the Spirit for me to do a book like this and to have someone like Bishop Wiegand give that testimonial that uh, it's, not, it's, not a, it's, it's not an affirmation of Jim McFadden but it's an affirmation you know God is at work and uh, I was so grateful that he um, put his, his thoughts to words like that it's, um, so you, you, you mentioned marketing how, how does that work and how's it going well it, it's, it's um, off to a slow start we um, our primary market is um, Catholic high schools. Mm -hmm. There's about, I think, 750, 800 high schools. And we have a, a we kind of put together a team, uh, and the person who's, uh, you know, Teresa, who, who does my, who does advance work for my homilies and presentations I do at the parish and so forth, and, and she has, uh, uh, you know, targeted these high schools by getting addresses, getting contact persons, and then and then sending out uh, an email blast with an electronic flyer. Um, the book came out a little bit late. Uh, most most departments decide what books they can use for a textbook in November, and so um, so what they were, we're encouraging them is that maybe. You know, get a um, like for my class. We have a uh, I have a set of books for the class, and, it, and then just they turn it into the period. So uh, we're going to be doing another marketing push in October, November, and November when departments have decided what textbooks they're going to use. And the the book uh, Salvation History 
it's really meant as a um, a complement to a textbook. But uh, with the the textbooks that I've, I've read over the years, I I do think this is uh, uh, my book is more accessible in terms of the language and the fluidity of ideas and and. Um, so I, I think it, it can be used. Oh, it, had, it has been used quite successfully in my class. So, uh, and it, so that was one. That was the major thrust. And then we sent out uh, copies to news organizations, and then it's on. And then we uh, approached uh, Barnes and Nobles and Amazon for them to carry it. Mm-hmm. And. Um, um, you know, if we can develop a kind of a cache of a reservoir, you know, the, the next stage would be pretty laborious as there's 17,000 parishes. Right. And, uh, and it would be a mammoth undertaking to, to contact that. So what, I, what we did is we started with the diocese. I, I sent um, uh, a, a notice, a flyer, to... A person in charge of religious ed for the parish, mm-hmm. and uh, so that that that's where we are. It's it's it is uh, we're struggling to get traction, um, but uh, uh, we're going to make be making another push in the, in the late fall when high schools are starting to make the decisions to uh, uh, for for book orders. I like one one of uh, early in the book you write this whole enterprise is not just an academic intellectual pursuit. I love that beginning with the Garden of Eden and culminating in the public ministry and Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to encounter a God who never gives up on us, and who yearns for us to return to the Garden. There we can experience full communion with Him, solidarity with one another, and harmony. With creation, God's desire for us to be at one with Him is beautifully expressed in Jesus' prayer to His Father in John 17. Jesus prayed that the love which you, sh- the love which you loved, me may be in them, and I, in them. Yeah. Pretty yeah. good stuff, you know. Uh, that that part, and, and it's something that I, I I hope to impart to to my kids, to myself, um, to everybody I encounter, my family. Uh, and, the, and the world in general is God never gives up on us and yearns for us to return to the garden. That's 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 the bottom line here. We're all gonna mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all gonna mess up. Yeah. And some of us uh, get into that. Oh, I, I can never be forgiven mode. Yeah. And um, God never gives up on us. He's yeah. Right now. Yeah. Ready yeah. to for us to say yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in Genesis 1 and 2, it describes the world that God intended. You know, that, that they were, you know, Adam and Eve, were, they were so comfortable being in God's presence. They were walking in the garden and talking. And and they were in fellowship with each other. There's no barriers between them, symbolized by their nakedness. And the garden was lush. It was life-giving. You know, they had everything they needed to be fully human. And... They asked the question in Genesis 3, they asked the question that we all ask, is God enough? Hmm. And they wanted what God is and has, but they wanted it without God, and they left the garden. And God, and, the, and, uh, and, then, and then it shows the spread of sin, you know, with Cain and Abel and the flood and, right. and the Tower of Babel. And from Genesis 12, the story of Abraham, the rest of the story is getting us back to the garden, where we enjoy that that intimacy, that closeness. Um, and what I, and there's just you know there's just no coincidences in scripture. I think coincidence is kind of a an atheist word for God. But you know you know when Mary Magdalene encountered the risen Christ, she uh, she found she encountered him. In the garden, mm-hmm. oh wait! I, he, he, she encountered him, you know, outside the uh, the tomb. Mm-hmm. Yes, but where was the tomb? Because she mistook the risen Christ for the gardener. For the gardener, yeah. And if that means that Jesus was in the garden, <laughs> and and it's 
Like he's bringing us back into oneness, into union, and 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 that's where life is generated. And and so uh, I think it's probably I, I would hope that I tried to do this at the beginning of my teaching career. Um, that I, I just wasn't passing on religious information. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, catech- catechesis is important. It's like St. Anselm says is that uh, theology is faith-seeking understanding, and that's important. But what's primary is what, what you said earlier, Bob, is that faith is about a relationship with a person. Right. And, and all he wants is to give himself completely to us. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens at Eucharist. I mean, Jim, there's, there's a lot more here. We're up against the clock. We need oh. to get you back on because uh, I have about 400 more questions. Uh, okay. We'd love to get you back on the program. The book is Salvation History, God's Rescue Mission. The author is Deacon Jim McFadden uh, right here in the Diocese of Sacramento. Uh, we'll look forward to our paths crossing again real soon. Okay, Bob, thank you very much for the conversation and, and blessings on your ministry. Same to you. Thanks, Jim. Take okay, care. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, God bless. That's uh, Deacon uh, Jim McFadden, and uh, uh, it's a really, really a great, great read. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open Uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrusites. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. This is Julie Sly, editor of Atlet Herald Magazine, and you're listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thank you, Julie, for that wonderful introduction. Much, much appreciated. Uh, again, we were talking with uh, uh, Jim McF- Deacon Jim McFadden from... Uh, uh, whose book uh, is from St. Francis High School and uh, Salvation History, God's Rescue Operation. There were a couple more uh, points in there that I, I wanted to raise, and we'll get Jim back on. Uh, he says, there was a time going back to the founding fathers of the United States that mirrored an overarching narrative. We accepted universal truths that were embodied in natural law. Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We all know those words. These truths could be discerned by reason, as they were commonly accepted by most people. But some modern philosophers of the day, such as Voltaire and David Hume, rejected the notion that there are truths that apply to everyone. Not surprisingly, in line with this way of thinking, a skepticism arose against faith and religion. This skepticism is now the dominant consciousness of our culture, 
and gave rise to an anti-foundational bias. We cannot assume that there is an overall plan since it can neither be observed empirically nor inferred from abstract reasoning based on ordinary experience. Consequently, there is a suspicion of any comprehensive universal narrative. In fact, there is a rejection of any philosophy or religious belief that shows that there is a pattern in nature, natural law, and that history has a direction and a plan. Along this line, there is a rejection of an external authority who is the guardian of revealed truth. Instead, we need to be flexible and pliable and make up our own story based upon our experience and relative to our time and place. We, that's, that's what we, we hear that all the time. You know, if this uh, religion thing works for you, fine. Uh, I don't need it. Uh, I don't want it. Um, it doesn't work for me. That, uh, uh, you know, truths are out there. Truth is not objective. Truth is, uh, I mean, truth is, is not, <laughs> excuse me, subjective. <laughs> it is objective. Uh, truth is not subjective. Uh, truth just stands out there. You, you might not ever discover it. You might not be exposed to it. Uh, you might be exposed to it and reject it. You might be exposed to it and accept it. But the truth is there. Uh, two and two is four, whether you believe two and two is four. <laughs> Uh, Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist, whether you believe it or I believe it, and I do. But even if we didn't, it would still be a truth, and it's it's not objective. You don't make up your your you may in your own mind make up your own truth, but uh, by golly, uh, it's 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 just out there. It is objective, not subjective. The Real Presence, Real Life is the title for Ministry Days, uh, sponsored by the Diocese of Sacramento, the annual Ministry Days, a great gathering, one of the largest gatherings, well, certainly probably just about the largest gathering in the diocese every year. Friday, September 23rd is primarily for our Catholic school teachers. Saturday, September 24th for all the rest of us at St. Francis Catholic High School, 5900 Elvis Avenue in Sacramento. Uh, among the speakers, Father Daniel Williamson, Kara Morales, Father Michael T. Martin, and Pedro Rubacava. Rubacava. Uh, it all takes place at St. Francis. Again, that's uh, 5900 Elvis Avenue. Go to ministrydays.com to learn more about it or to, uh, to uh, sign up. Also, uh, youth and young adult ministers are invited to be part of the formation program First Things. This will be a seven-session online formation program for those who are looking to renew, uh, refresh, or reevaluate their youth ministry or young adult ministry efforts, especially anyone new to ministry with youth or young adults. Whether volunteer or paid, this training provides direction for those taking on leadership roles. Think of it as basic training in comprehensive ministry, uh, accepting registration for the winter-spring cohorts. Registration closes September 28th, so to be sure to uh, sign up as soon as possible. You can contact Anthony Ta, that's T-A, A-T-A at scd.org, or Alex Barraza, that's A-B-A-R-R-A-Z-A at scd.org to register for the meeting. Also, uh, coming up uh, a week from Saturday, Saturday uh, this Saturday, the 17th of September, at Six Flags Discovery Kingdom in Vallejo on Fire 2022. Are you on fire? Don't miss your opportunity to join Bishop Soto at Six Flags Discovery Kingdom in Vallejo. 13th annual on fire. Hard to believe it's been that long. On fire NorCal for youth and young adults. Uh, Bishop Soto will be joined by Bishops Daniel Mugenborg from, from Reno, Michael Barber from Oakland, and Robert Basha from Santa Rosa, it's a great day to pray and play together. The day includes Holy Mass, an evening concert with Epic of the Band and Joe Melendres, a full day of rides and, and attractions and all-you-can-eat lunch, Vocations Carnival, and two hours of exclusive ride time after the park closes. It's all-inclusive, all-encompassing, runs from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. at Six Flags Discovery Kingdom. Uh, it's a great opportunity. Uh, bring your friends, whether they're Catholic or not. It's a great opportunity to connect with teens from all over Northern California and Northern Nevada. Uh, so many uh, dioceses are sharing in this, although it did, it did originate here in the Diocese of Sacramento. 
Also, first things uh, uh, will uh, the sessions begin in October uh, of 2022. So just uh, about a month down the uh, road. Uh, the diocese always puts out our, some ordinations anniversaries, and we we love to uh, uh, give credit where where credit is due. Uh, it's a much shorter list than it is in June, but for priests uh, who were uh, ordained in September, uh, Father Cristobal Immelfork Diaz, a bit Father Big Chin Abraham Chu, Father Lawrence Beck. Father Mario Lopez, Father Gregory Liu, and Father Ashok Stephen, uh, all ordained in the month of September, <clears throat> and Deacon Carl Cuby as well was uh, ordained on <clears throat> September the 14th. The others were ordained between uh, September 6th and September 13th. So congratulations to all of them, and, and thank all of them for, uh, for their great service uh, here in the Diocese of Sacramento. Also, Bishop Soto has made the following request for prayers. <clears throat> he said, our, our neighbors, he writes, our neighbors in Weed, California, up in Siskiyou Ta County, have been ravaged by the mill fire. Let us accompany our brothers and sisters with prayer, asking our merciful Father to bring them comfort and support in these anxious days of loss and uncertainty. Through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary, and, the, and the, may the Lord Jesus extend his consoling embrace all those afflicted as well as protection and perseverance to all those battling the blazes uh this is the second fire in recent history to, to hit the the beautiful um, small town of weed there in the in the shadow of mount shasta uh, prisoners wishing to donate money to assist those in need may uh, donate by mail send checks to the diocese of sacramento fire assistance fund and it will all go to help these people, uh, and the address here uh, is 2110 Broadway, 95818 is the zip. You can donate by phone, uh, call the Catholic Foundation, and uh, earmark exactly where you want it to go. Uh, that's at 916-733-0266, or you can donate online, scd.org backslash fire hyphen assistance. Again, scd.org backslash fire hyphen assistance. And it would be uh, really greatly appreciated by all the people that have been so affected, uh, affected by, by these things. Um, it's just, uh, weed has uh, been especially hard hit in the last, uh, oh, several years. Also, uh, a reminder from uh, Father Memo, uh, the director of the Office of Vacations. Just this is kind of a uh, early save the date, if you will. He wants us to remind us to block out Saturday, June the third of next year, 2023, June the third, to attend the ordination to the priesthood mass at the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, petition for you to reserve the first Saturday of the month of June for priesthood operate ordinations every year has been in place for several years. Bishop Soto moved the date from Memorial Day to the first Saturday of June to make it possible for more people and priests to attend the celebration. Uh, please uh, ask everyone to block the first Saturday of June every year on your parish calendar to avoid any conflicts with other parish events so that the whole people of God in the Diocese of Sacramento be one, may be one in prayer and in support of this, uh, 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 of this important moment for the church. Uh, that's from uh, uh, Father Memo, who, who concludes the Office of Vocations team, and I keep you and your parishes in our prayers. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless everyone. We'll talk to you again soon. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in healthcare, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, you can give them a call, 
2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of of Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, They continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. We also receive generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley & Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley & Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. Four six zero zero, and we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, long-standing support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town. Uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento, who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour, uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. To the cross I look And to the cross I cling its suffering I do drink Of its work I do sing On it must save you Both bruised and crushed Showing that God is love And God is just I'm reconciled 